Hello, Red Coats. Two if by land and one in the stink. You're listening to the Dare Daniel Podcast, where you send us your most sinister movie dares, and we suffer the consequences for your amusement. I'm Corky McDonald, Hudson Fur Trapper at large, and with me as always is Daniel Barnes, the film critic for the Sacramento News and Review and a member of the San Francisco Film Critics Circle. Hi everyone, as Corky said, on this show we do your dirty work by watching the most unwatchable movies you can imagine. And then we review and rate them on our unique rating system. Your everyday average run-of-the-mill bad film is rated a dare. We give a double dare to the truly atrocious movies that we watch. And we reserve the reverse dare for a despised movie that is actually pretty good. Today on the podcast, we're traveling way back in time to watch Hugh Hudson's 1985 epic, Revolution, starring Al Pacino as an 18th century fur trapper unwillingly swept up in the American Revolution. But before we get started, Daniel also writes a craft beer column for the Sacramento Bee, so he's going to tell us about the beer he brought for us today. So today's beer is another one from New Glory. I'm pretty sure I brought a few of these so far. Uh, It is called Galactic Worms IPA, the double dry hopped version. It's an IPA brewed with double the amount of Galaxy Citra and Amarillo hops. Flavorful IPA, nice bitterness, um, but not really overpowering. Still very drinkable. Excellent beer. Another winner from our friends at New Glory. Oh, they nailed this one. Yep. Okay. Speaking of nailing things. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Fucking segue of all time. <laughs> let's talk about how Hugh Hudson nailed this movie. Revolution. So... Corky, you brought this one up. Can you talk about why you want, why you dared ourselves to watch Hugh Hudson's 1985 movie, Revolution, starring Al Pacino? This is a movie I've been wanting to watch for 30 years. I can remember seeing Gene Shalit on the Today Show slamming this movie. <laughs> yeah. So I remember seeing this get panned, and I knew that that meant something like this was supposed to be good. Right, right. And that it went away. Growing up, you couldn't get any movie you wanted at any time. You know what I mean? Of our generation. Yeah, yeah. It was this one was kind of hard to see. For it a was while. yeah. It was hard to. It was find. barely released in theaters. Exactly, and and even in video stores you couldn't really yeah. find it. So it stuck in my mind, which kind of made me want to see it more. It was like my my white whale. Right. Also, shining through kind of struck a chord with me of going back because there's no CGI. And I want to see that authenticity of a lot of actors on a big stage. Absolutely. And and this pre-CGI movie made in 1985, in comparison to the movie reviewed last week, which was Renaissance Man, uh, which cost like $40 million, like that was sort of where did where was the money yeah. going on that one? Did they just throw it in a hole on set where they just threw it and burnt it for warmth or something? <laughs> like, where the fuck did the money go? This movie cost $28 million when it was made 10 years earlier. And the money's there on the screen, sure, right? Like right. huge crowds, tons of costumes. Still, this movie just did not connect with audiences, even though, as we said, Hugh Hudson, coming off of Chariots of Fire, which won Best Picture in 1981, Grey Stoke, The Legend of Tarzan, which was a pretty successful film, not on the level of Chariots of Fire, but then this one just absolutely bombed, came out Christmas 1985 to qualify for awards. Apparently, it was very rushed to get there in post-production, got absolutely savaged by critics at the time. It has a 10 on Rotten Tomatoes. It grossed less than $1 million against a $28 million budget. When the critics killed this thing, it, it, it just basically didn't open. It just seems like this is one of those movies nobody wants. No. <laughs> you know? I remember Gene Shellett did not want this movie. Absolutely. Yeah, nobody did. Everyone, it was a big pile-on kind of movie. 
So having watched it now, what do you think? Is this a movie that is a forgotten classic or is this one something that just should be forgotten? No, this is the medical tent of the Revolutionary War of movies. <laughs> this movie's chopped to pieces. It's ugly. It, yeah. uh, it will make you scream. Yeah. Uh, you want to look away several times yeah. and you might catch sepsis. Absolutely. So, Definitely. A lot of gangrene going I, on in there. 30 just, years in the waiting. The smell is very gangrene. I got it done. Yeah. But it was not what I imagined. Not worth the wait. No. Yeah, I actually watched this on cable, like in the early 90s, um, when I was a teenager and was just getting interested in movies. I remember not liking it at all. And boy, it, it holds up exactly as I expected. <laughs> I mean, it's really bad. It's a movie that in all of the conceptual levels, like if you're going to talk about what does this movie want to do? You know, that's all really interesting, right? Yes. So it's a story about the American Revolution that is basically told, uh, this phrase was used a lot when I was reading up, a worm's eye view of the American Revolution, right? Okay. A very lowly person. This guy isn't an officer. He's not a hero. He's not signing any documents or anything like that. He, he has no cause. He's actually forcibly like entered into the army and kind of literally from the beginning of the American Revolution on July 4th, 1776, all the way through Yorktown, Yeah. Uh, you've fallen through the entire revolution. And the way that there's a ton of handheld camera, there's a lot of natural lighting. It's supposed to be this very realistic view. So all this stuff is really interesting, right? This anti-hero genre revision is bleak movie and it's just, it's dirty and it's grimy, but it does none of it well. No. It does all of it extremely poorly. I feel like the attempt now to revive this movie is basically an attempt by the, the type of critics who would say, any attempt to make a good movie is tantamount to making a good movie. <laughs> yeah, they right. tried to make a good movie here, right? They, they tried, tried very to hard. do something super, super interesting and failed miserably. Yeah. I imagine that this movie is the movie that Alan Alda sabotaged in Sweet Liberty. Right. <laughs> that the revolutionary period piece that he tanked. Yeah. <laughs> That's this movie. That's in my world. They were making this movie. Awesome. All right, let's get into it. Yeah. So let's start, and we start on July fourth. 1776. 1776. We get an opening crawl that kind of explains France and England are the superpowers of the time. One quarter of America is still loyal to the crown. And the English Armada is getting ready to kind of come in with reinforcements. And of course, it's July 4th. So the Declaration of Independence has just been signed. So we're set up. We're like bang right into We're it. We're right into it. After that scroll, we see a big mob out shaking their f yeah. fists in the air. The opening shot is a statue of King George that's being dragged down. A very polystyrene statue yeah, of King George. Really. It's the one fakey looking thing. I was like, oh boy, well, I'm in for it. But that was it. That for was the most part, yeah, the, the movie looks pretty pretty good. I mean, the props are good. The costumes are good. Yeah. I mean, the cinematography is horrible. Yeah. Production values are high. It's amazing, right? Annie Lennox is on a dock screaming for liberty and yeah. Sons of Liberty, Al Pacino and his son come in on a boat tom dobb we get our scottish immigrant fur trapper played by al pacino we're gonna get into that scottish part of that al pacino's character <laughs> so al pacino as he explains to his son uh, they're going to sell their furs up the river he's scottish <laughs> by way of tony montana meets sunny from dog day afternoon <laughs> right? it's a mix of all of <laughs> yeah. it he never sticks with one. He's not as bad as Sutherland, yeah. but he never sticks oh, with yeah. one. Oh, yeah. Sutherland is actually way worse, which is insane, right? I have no idea what anyone's accent is in this no. universe. They all change from scene to scene. A British woman and a Southern man somehow gave birth to Natasha Kinski? That's the most amazing part. <laughs> and that Southern man also drifts into New York when he's talking. Right. A little, okay. Oh so as, as much as we're saying that the production values are great, it is 
raining on Al Pacino's boat only. Yeah. You can see, because for some reason they filmed him coming in the water, it's coming down hard on him and his son, but the water right beyond them, no ripples. Yeah. No, no right. dogs, nothing. <laughs> There's a, uh, what I would call like a self-conscious naturalism to everything, right? Every image is like naturally lit and looks muddy and shadowy as shit. Yeah. There's mud everywhere. It will mix between like, here's a composed shot, here's an uncomposed shot, here is this thing where I'm following people, and here's this thing where the camera can't keep up. It's so disharmonious and so cacophonous, which is this movie in a nutshell, because it is constantly people running and shouting. It's all just a very like unpleasant experience, which on the one hand, they're sort of intentional because yeah. they want to show the ugliness that's going on. I mean, this crowd that we see in New York, they, it's just a drunken mob, right? Like, yeah, they're they're celebrating their independence, but really it's just like a drunken mob absolutely losing control and like running around the city. Throwing Englishmen into the water. Throwing people in the river and yeah. stealing people's boats and shit like that. I mean, they're just an absolute... But you can make an ugly scene without making an ugly movie. Right? Yeah. You know? <laughs> no, that's just the thing is like... It's a, everything looks really shitty. All right, we got to get off this. Yeah, I'm sorry. All right, so Joan Plowright, Natasha Kinski, uh, and another woman are in a coach. You can tell they're upper crust elites. They're yeah, they're part up. of that one quarter who are still loyal to the king. Although Natasha Kinski kind of jumps out, so she she's gets one swept quarter up of that it. one quarter. Yeah, exactly. A- but she seems to be at least in these early scenes more kind of like swept up in the excitement of it. People are running around and they're shouting slogans and things. She's and just a young girl who sees... A, a, she's a, a young, sheltered girl and yeah. she just wants to go out and join him. Pacino, who's playing Tom Dobb, his son, Ned, that's all he cares about. He he's, will give up his boat and his furs, but get your hands off my son. They give him a note for his boats that they tell him they'll pay him for afterwards. Right. Constantly, the camera will like swivel and tilt and shake as though like... Someone almost dropped the like, camera or something. Even like the that. movies trying to leave the movie behind. Like, <laughs> know, hey, right? I'll meet you guys when this is done. But in this scene, like, it kind of it comes down this street and it just swoops over to a sign that says Wall Street. Like, it's just so self conscious about it. It's that, like I said, self conscious naturalism. And you see 1776 Stephen Gutenberg's uh, roller skating down there pumping. <laughs> yeah. They can't stop the music opening. Uh, you were going to say about self conscious. Ah, fuck. What the fuck was I going to say? Um, nah, just keep it going. Okay. Well, one thing I will say. <laughs> <laughs> the fucking non sequitur strikes again. <laughs> so in the scene, they're coming to Wall Street, and like almost every scene in the movie, it unfolds with a shot of mud. No, this movie's muddy. It's like last scene of Predator muddy. And it's it's constantly people just running down the street and shouting. I kept writing in my notes over and over again, running, shouting, mud. Yeah. That is every scene. <laughs> it opens, someone's running through the mud, shouting. Like, running, shouting, mud is this movie's love time death. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, right. running, shouting, mud, that's all I wrote over and over again. Helen Mirren and... Uh, uh, <laughs> Kira Knightley are going to show up as mud right. <laughs> shouting <laughs> they're there to teach Pacino the meaning of running shouting mud <laughs> so we, we get to where he's got to turn in his note for his boat they kind of trick his son 
into they they say he's going to get to play with the drum and so he signs up for the army gets a few bucks and yeah. gets 50 cents or these something these are like all that. like feel like real touches like that's probably what they did they put shillings on drums and little boys saw that absolutely right so under threat of death yeah Pacino joins the revolutionary army yeah and for some reason Natasha Kinski and Al Pacino lock eyes Al yeah. Pacino's on a boat sailing out of the harbor and they lock she- eyes like a half a dozen times in this opening and it's like oh well, is this coming back I, just, yeah, I wonder Natasha Kinski who plays Daisy McConaughey she is the most accessible character in this movie. She she gets in anywhere, and she overhears know, right? all the pertinent conversations. Seriously? She's at every relevant point of history. She sees everything, doesn't she? And yeah. she can open rain, just get anywhere. She's so, like omnipresent. But this is where I was like, okay, yeah, this is the movie I wanted. I wanted this movie to look this way. This opening 20 minutes, I'm like, okay, Okay, like yeah. that that wasn't great, but we're on to something, right? Even we're, the boats sailing off the The boats war. sailing off into the dark. They're only lit by you torches. You can just see the light, yeah. It's what it would have been like. It would have been pitch black out there, you know? Absolutely. The thing about this movie is that it, there's constantly this struggle between the naturalism and how utterly fake the characters, the performances, <laughs> and the, story. the accents, the story, everything feels so phony. Like you said, she just shows up every pertinent place in the plot. Yeah. Wherever the plot her needs her to be, she walks in on We'll something. get into it, but their love story is the worst oh, just I've disgusting. ever seen. It's yeah. terrible. Awful. I've seen porno movies with more emotional death. <laughs> so like later on, we see like slaves who are shouting for their freedom. We see the Continental Army marching one way and we see some prisoner slaves marching the other way. You see all these little things. But then at the same time, Natasha Kinski has like a black woman servant named Cuffy. Cuffy. Who just follows her dutifully around around everywhere never speaks and is just basically like she's essentially a slave right yeah. oh, <laughs> that's what she is. but the movie and treats it named, as though this is like some sweet thing she's given some nickname off coffee because of her skin color which i immediately wanted pam greer coffee get pam greer in there man set in this world and she wouldn't take yeah, no shit she's just not gonna not speak <laughs> bernie casey shows up to <laughs> save al pacino at the end i like this movie exactly let's right? pick that movie <laughs> So we kind of flash forward to she's walking on a battlefield. This is my favorite part. And even though it, it's uh, the middle of a, a giant open field, it's still muddy and gray and, and smoky and foggy everywhere. She just wanders on to <laughs> Al Pacino and his son just laying in the grass. This is like post-battle. Yeah. And they're like, oh, the battle was terrible. What a dumb, boring-ass way to deliver this information, to just have like, Pacino sit there in the aftermath of this horrible battle and say how bad it was. It's so fucking funny though because she starts tending to his wounds and all he wants to do is eat. And watching Pacino eat while the woman pats his chest is the funniest <laughs> image in the world. He's just slavering food from his mouth. Yeah. But before that, she wanders into a medical tent. We know it's a medical tent because there's someone writhing in pain, screaming while four people are holding him down, working on him. Yeah. He's going to get his leg amputated. Yeah. That's what's happening. Natasha Kinski walks up and just goes, doctor, is that you? The man's <laughs> holding someone down about to saw a leg off and just She's a little him. sheltered. <laughs> hey, I need attention right now real fast. I know, right? Like, look at me. Uh, can you take a selfie with me real fast? <laughs> I know, right? She ends up helping and you can tell she's got a taste for this rebel war cause. Yeah, she's got a believing in it a little bit more. And this is sort of the, you feel like this is the first time she sees that it's not all like fun and shouting. Exactly. And, and when, when Kinski is tending to Al Pacino's wounds, we find out she's our Cameron Crowe's manic pixie dream coquette. <laughs> yeah. Because Al Pacino, we've seen he only joins to protect his son he doesn't uh-huh. give a fuck about the cause but she's just you are noble you are fighting for our cause you are the son of liberty yeah 
The fact that this develops into a love story is just so weird. They have no chemistry, and she threw out until she finally professes her love for him. Seems to regard him as just sort of a pitiful old man, Yeah, right? Like, when this movie was made, Pacino was, like, I think, 45. She was maybe 23, 24. So, that makes sense. <laughs> what 23-year-old woman doesn't regard? He would have been a great grandpa by then. <laughs> I know, right? She has kind of a... Also, Natasha Kinski never doesn't have kind of like a psycho look in her eye. Like, she looks like she could snap and kill somebody uh, at any yeah, time. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, which we see a little bit later. Yeah. So, we're 19 minutes in, and a ton of shit has happened. This uh, movie is not light on plot. No, not a great Story. Plot. <laughs> right, that you, you good difference. Super light on, good super difference. pretty much no story. There's a ton of sets. There's, There's just a, a lot of, of stuff. They yeah. go to a lot of places and a lot of stuff happens. But she finds out her dad is a war profiteer because she uh, conveniently wanders in on him and Robbie Coltrane. Which out of nowhere, there's a point of view shot. The first time in the entire movie, it just decides like the scene where she walks into a room. That's right. We're gonna do a point of view shot of her like coming in on this conversation. <laughs> just the camera. It's just like, what? Just throw it all the fuck out there, man. Right. Just throw it all out there. So we have British soldiers on the battlefield, yeah. and this is our introduction to... Donald Sutherland Colonel as a Scottish officer with it, the fucking... I mean, whatever Pacino is doing, I mean, it's Sutherland. It's just like, I think he saw him on set and was like, I can't let this go. No. So we get to the one battle scene, the one big battle scene in the movie, the centerpiece scene, lots of extras. It's kind of done in a, a very... What just sort of looks like a reenactment kind of way you know yeah. soldiers marching in an open field and again i want to reiterate everybody looks the shit there is bo- explosions going on it you looks know, good they would have had to done this a, a million times oh right yeah spent a lot of money on this but it's boring how it's is really a, bad how is a battle scene boring the, well first of all like we said none of it cuts together no right but the compositions just the actual framing the the where everything is arranged in the frame is so jumbled and it's so chaotic, and it's just super uninteresting to look at, which on the one hand, I think, yeah, they're trying to de-glamorize war, but also, like, were you trying to, like, make it that boring? <laughs> like, like, This is the first time I noticed the shaky handheld stuff during these fight scenes, and it looked like uh, World War II footage of, like, actual battlefield footage, because right. it was shaky, and they're running. I was like, oh, that's cool, but I still wanted Melanie Griffith to be narrating the, <laughs> the battle. It's like a time life. <laughs> Melanie Griffith narrates the Revolutionary War. Turkey in the straw was playing. <laughs> Look out, little drummer boy. Smallpox was making its big comeback. <laughs> we and we see that the uh, British soldiers never break stride, they never break rank, they're perfectly uniformed. They totally Tom Sutherland is shish right? Kids, children yeah, on the he's battlefield. Just running up with a big spear and just killing people. Uh Pacino barely escapes, um, but him and Tom are both able to get away. They go AWOL, and he says, we're going to go back to New York and work at a rope factory. (laughs) The dream. (laughs) There's a British parade. Daisy and her sisters are out watching it. Daisy's sisters are like the aunts from James and the Giant Peach. Uh They are that level of cartoonish. Oh, boy. Oh, there's a British soldier. Everybody on the British side is so cartoonish. We'll get to Richard O'Brien. Oh, my God. They stack the deck so hard on the Redcoats. It is just absolutely insane. So we get Daisy. She notices Tom and his son are back. uh, And she's a real piece of work because, like, she war profiteer shamed her father. Now she pacifist shames Al Pacino. (laughs) She just goes up. You ran? Yeah, she can't believe it. Shouting in his face. Unacceptable. Not my fight. Okay, so Joan Plowright sets up her daughters with these British soldiers, and I will never get enough, never ever in my life, of powdered wig lechery. (laughs) I love love powdered wig dandies acting. (laughs) Tim Roth and Rob Roy fucking nailed it. (laughs) 
Richard O'Brien is Ugh. chewing scenery in this. Not very. No, much. he's not. He's swallowing it whole. <laughs> he is. He did not pause to chew that. And it's basically an eyes wide shut scene with these British soldiers and these American society daughters. He is so in front of their mother and so over the top. It is outrageous. He talks like, "Yeah, right." Mm-hmm. Look at the British, the American <laughs> army. <laughs> That's literally how he talks. And like Dan said, they stack the deck. You're never going to root for that guy. No, right? Because it's like, okay, well, yeah. And on the one side of the Continental Army, the officers were kind of rude. I mean, they they stole a boat or two, and then the redcoats are—they're all pedophile rapists. It's terrible. It's like, well, who are you going to side? I don't know. Both sides, right? Like, so they're about to throw a fivesome down in front of Joe Plow, right? <laughs> Seriously, ready to go. But Natasha Kinski is only doing a ploy. She pulls out her American flag pin and yeah. stabs Richard O'Brien in the dick. Yes. Hey, you whore. Your daughters are whores. She gets kicked out of the family, and now we're at the rope factory. We're torturing and uh, slapping workers. Yeah, so it fast forwards five months. Did it? I didn't catch that at all. Yeah, it goes five months later. Oh, then that fucks the later. Okay, hold on. The timeline of this movie is jacked as shit. Complete garbage. Okay, go ahead. Complete garbage. Yeah, it goes five months later. Tom's working in a a rope factory. His kid has joined the Mohawks, which his kid just keeps joining dumb shit. Yeah, his kid just joins like some street gang, and the scene just starts with them kind of running through. I mean, and it's one of those where it's like, damn, this should look good, right? This should look really cool. They're running through a factory. There's these handheld shots and. His kid thinks he's a coward because yeah. he won't stand up to the British, and he se- and tells Pacino him. says, "You seen him? By the way, did I mention I'm an 18th century fur trapper?" <laughs> <laughs> he says shit like, "You got eats, you got eats, you got eats." Later, he says, "Speculator." <laughs> <laughs> oh, and Pacino, I got the money from the speculators. He gets conscripted to do a fox hunt, and you know what's going to happen here. They're actually going to hunt the humans. Right. Yeah, so they're dragging this effigy of George Washington through the woods, and hounds are chasing after him. And this is the other kind of, I would say, you know, one of the other big centerpiece sequences. This one probably comes the closest to working. Yes, there's actually like There's stakes. some interesting like spatial logic going on where like you can see the dogs over the hill and then they kind of come up in the in the close up. Uh, I, I, over this the was ridge. the first time I actually felt like, "Ooh, is he going to get out of this or is this or, there's something there's made a little you feel extra something going on." Yeah. He's paired with a larger man who kind of quits halfway through and decides to give up. Pacino uh, cuts him out of the rope and the guy runs away. Pacino warns him, "You got the scent on ya." <laughs> <laughs> Every piece of this is telegraphed. The, the the Richard O'Brien character says, it's not the big man you have to worry about. It's the small man that'll give you the fight. <laughs> it's every piece of this is fucking telegraphed. <laughs> So, for some reason, he's still carrying the George Washington by himself after the dogs eat the big fat guy. I know, right? Why didn't he just leave that thing and run go- down the water? I guess he just thought that the, uh, the dogs will attack the effigy and not him. Okay. Oh, if he's carrying it with him. Yeah. Ah, I see. Because the scent's on the effigy. But as he tells the other guy, you got the scent on you. I totally would have died in the Revolutionary War, dude. <laughs> I think we all would have, yeah. Oh, and his son is now in jail and gets... Oh, you forgot the capper to the scene. Oh, go where for Where evil Richard O'Brien walks up to the effigy and cuts its bloody head off and <laughs> says... So ends the American dream. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a I'm a pedophile rapist. (laughs) I'm an (laughs) infantile. 
Mumsy. Mumsy. So he's so fucking he bad. Even, he says, hey, what? <laughs> so it's the American dream, eh, what? <laughs> okay. So speaking of pedophiles, uh, oh, Donald okay. Sutherland. Now, was he a pedophile? I didn't get that. Oh, man. I know his boss was. I mean, he was definitely a procurer. There we definitely go. a procurer. I guess that's But he also seemed to take a little bit of pleasure in something that we'll, we'll, we'll get to. There uh, was a little Billy Bud going on in the uh, British soldiers. Exactly. Here. It was very tender with the kids. And I, I think there's a, a very telling line where uh, the kid at one point says that he was w- jealous of yeah. the other kid because he liked him more. So it's kind of like, okay, yeah, there's some there's something going on there. He does have a big mole on his face, though. Oh, yeah. Did we forget? Yeah. As though, like, okay, like, we can't tell he's evil. (laughs) Like, he's a red coat. He's a sadist. He tortures people. He's a pedophile and a procurer. Like, oh, I don't know. That doesn't scream villain. Ah, what if we gave him a big, hairy mole? What if we gave him a mole the size of Delaware (laughs) on on his face? face. You can't help but look at it. And if I wondered, you know, he he did wear it on the right side, which is code for, you know, I'm a little... (laughs) Exactly, right? So it's like read between the lines, dude. (laughs) Tom Dobbs' son, Ned, is arrested and and conscripted to become a drummer because drummers are dying of smallpox for the British Army. And he won't do it. He bites the the major trying to touch him. Yeah, and gets dragged out of there where he is viewed by, of course, Daisy, who just happens to be standing outside the prison. (laughs) <laughs> like she's just right fucking there whatever you fucking need her we might have to have a Natasha Kinski narrates the revolutionary war <laughs> she's, she ev- saw all of it <laughs> well when I was at Lexington and Concord she's like wait those is the same day his son is tortured with the gunner's daughter so they whip the shit out of his feet like, yeah. I still like the look of this movie but there's nothing pulling us through you know what I mean? There's not a thing that is like, okay, I want to see what happens when the, we, they get to this or when they get to that. It's not a, a story or a connection that really like guides us through just this random series of events. Again, it's just a random series of events. Yeah. Tom shows up to rescue Ned. Yeah, Natasha Kinski yes. uh, goes and tells him that his she, son has been taken. Of course, because she, she, right she knows him. right where to find Ned. She knows right where to find Ned. One thing that gets kind of underlined in this scene is like a classic movie trope of like um, evil people is that the tinier the glass you drink out of and the longer your cigarette, the more of an evil pervert you are. Like, so phallic. The general is is drinking out of a glass that is like the size of a thumbnail. <laughs> and, and Donald Sutherland has the longest, thinnest cigarette in the history of cinema. I don't know what you mean, Dan. I'm about to drink out of this thimble. <laughs> All right, so Tom rescues Ned out of the camp. He also takes his friend Merle. And then we find that Iroquois trackers have followed them. And in the worst action scene in the world, Pacino dispatches both of them. <laughs> yeah, right. One guy just it disappears. <laughs> He's just gone. He's just gone. Editing took care of that guy. And then Pacino <laughs> stabs this guy in the slowest stabbing death of uh, since uh, Saving Private Ryan. Yeah. Not the stabbing. The stabbing happens quick. It's the dying. We right. just watch this Iroquois writhe and die. But then we look up and Graham... Sam Green and Professor Del Redclay from The Sopranos are watching <laughs> all of this happen. There's some forced, oh, what's going to happen? Yeah, are these you know, Indians? So Indians are bad, right? No, they're not all bad. They some hate are the good. Iroquois. Yeah, they hate the Iroquois and they hate the British. So, And they're, they're just kind of brought in to kind of change the milieu a little bit. You know what I mean? It, the movie totally changes it. Now we know all the natural remedy poultices to save your kid's feet. We're going to teach you the ways of tracking. We're going to befriend you out of nowhere. Yeah. he's They're Ernie Hudson in Basketball Diaries. <laughs> just saves the, the OD kid for no reason yeah <laughs> the scene where they're treating his kid's feet and al pacino was holding him as he rises in pain it's oh, like this sub- is painful 
painful. And they do it and they do it in one shot. And he's holding the kid, and they're like stabbing his feet. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why they're stabbing. It's like slices his feet. His feet have been whipped. Is stabbing him the way to go? But all right. But the worst thing Guess is, you know what you're doing. But Pacino's yeah. manhandling Pacino this kid. Pacino just writhing with the kid and grabbing the kid and yanking the kid around. And oh, and it's some really shameless stuff. And like we said, since they're just the script is complete garbage. There is no good. There's not a single good line in the script. So he has nothing interesting to say. So he just babbles and babbles and does the shaky, sweaty, look at me act. Shit, Absolutely. You know? So then we have our second voiceover of the movie because it wouldn't make sense any other way. But he tells you that six months have gone by. And apparently his son, Tom, is aged three years because we have a new actor playing his son. <laughs> yeah, right. Dexter Fletcher is playing his son. And now they are at Valley Forge because, again, they're just fucking everywhere. And... Daisy just Who shows up? drives her fucking wagon right into Valley Forge. It's just like she just wanders in there. Like as they I think they built a really awesome pedestrian gate to Valley Forge to like <laughs> allow people to get through the mud. Daisy and Cuffy are like Thelma and Louise are just on a cruise. They pull up in their wagon and show up and they find that's how we find out that's Tom. Ned. Right? Yeah, I'm Ned. Yeah, that's Ned, right, the so. kid. Are you Daisy? I'm Ned. And that she's like, Well, you were a different actor last scene. <laughs> Um, and of course, uh, more running, more shouting, more mud. Every Not anytime we get introduced to any new location, running, shouting, mud. This is Deadwood Main Street levels of mud yeah. in the street. So Ned and Tom are now living with the natives, the, na- yeah. the Native Americans. They've who learned saved to be them. trackers. They're scouts. They've learned to be trackers. His hair has gotten marvelously feathered. <laughs> Pacino's hair is like a <laughs> WWF wrestler from 1988. Yeah. It is so feathered and blown out. It's amazing. It is Dennis Miller, and he's weekend sort of. Update. Date. Sort of gone native a little too. He's wearing right? a little chotsky around his feather neck. here and there. <laughs> <laughs> so he's just—he's had a whole makeover. He says wampum instead of money. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's like a person who's gone over to England for like one week and comes back calling you mate. What's so? One of the things that Hugh Hudson uh, blamed for this movie failing was that it was the 1980s and nobody wanted an anti-hero, right? It was the age. Because he, and this is his words, because it was the age of Rocky and Rambo. Sure. Rocky and Rambo are literally like archetypal anti heroes. Rocky, Rocky <laughs> loses. Right? Like uh, when Rocky opens, he's working as hired muscle for a mobster. Yeah. He's a piece of shit. Yeah, right? right? These are classic anti heroes, like, you know? And the funny thing is that. Tom Dobbs' story is almost like a total carbon copy of Rambo's story, the classic Rambo narrative, which is you start out, this ain't my fight, and then, uh uh-oh, I've got a personal stake in the fight. So he gets into the fight, and then he learns that the people on the other side of the fight are so much worse, and they're even more evil than he thought, and so he becomes a righteous killer. And in this scene, he even takes Rambo's fucking hairstyle. (laughs) He has Rambo's hairstyle. So the whole idea that this movie failed because people wanted Rambo is just psychotic. He has feathered hair and frosted tips. He looks like Paul Roma of the Young Stallions wrestling tag team. (laughs) It's ridiculous. Oh, but uh, there's a, Kinski is into it. Oh, she is, she is Daisy super. Wants she him. is laying down signals like crazy. What my, they, my favorite part of the scene? So she goes to the tent with him. My favorite part is they're having this like really flirty kind of talk, and they're getting to know each other more and more. <laughs> and there's like one Indian who has their back turned, and he's just like working on something. And at one point, she's like. Look at my hands. And she holds out her hands to him. And then it's almost like he goes, all right, I get the fucking hit. He just stands up, not doesn't look at them at any point, stands up, gathers his shit, walks out. There, He's like, okay, gotcha. And, and the movie even makes a point to show him get up. Like, <laughs> all right, I got it. And not 
not look at them. He goes and puts a tie <laughs> on the door. <laughs> yeah, right. He's like, hang on, let me get a sock. Uh, and then she. Why t- does she like him so much? Why? What reason does she have the, for like none? She's he's the hero of the movie, and she has to like she's she's just bound to you know it's it, her duty. It is ridiculous. She I mean because there's after this she she's a sailor now. She's she's uh in the navy I guess yeah, right. She, <laughs> but he's following her as she rides with Cuffy out of the Valley Forge, and he's running after her thing saying, "Are you going to marry this man you met? Are you going to marry this?" And she's like, "Only you, Tom Dobb. Only you." Why? Right. She's met this man four times. In, in like 10 years. One or time she berated him <laughs> I know. for being a coward. Another time she stole his boat. Yes. <laughs> it's like, what the fuck do you guys well, see at each other? The other conversation was just, hey, they have your son. He d- doesn't tell him where, and he just go- takes off. Yeah. Ugh. So, yeah, they have this whole scene where he... Uh, this surprise big me. sweeping romantic scene where he runs after the wagon and this he's professing me. his love and she professes her love and he says great and then at the last second who comes out of it but evil British man Richard O'Brien and comes he riding slashes her good <laughs> Daisy McConaughey traitor but it's kind of in the distance so you can't tell if she's dead or not <laughs> so, so he just kind of Sees her wagon drive off. She kind of falls, but you don't see if she's. It reminded me of that scene in Two Towers when uh, the fucking the expert tracker Aragorn and Legolas are there. They're on this hilltop, and then all of a sudden the riders of Rohan just show up right around them. Like nobody saw this. The whole British army with Richard O'Brien rides up and just slices her and rides off. <laughs> yeah, right. Like great, great instincts there. So now it kind of flashes forward again. Now we're in Philadelphia. Yeah. The tide has turned in the war, right? So we've had Valley Forge. Now we're in Philadelphia. All of a sudden, we're, we're winning. There's this really horrible scene where he goes into, like, Ned goes into Independence Hall, and someone's cleaning up Independence Hall because they're going to have a, some sort of convention here or something. You know what I mean? It's yeah. just one of those, like... Ah, it's just so fucking fake. And the kid like brings out this model. It's a little astrolab of Tom Jefferson. Model of the universe, yeah. And he's like, "This is what revolution means." And it's kind of like, I guess. Not and he really. T- and he tells Ned, really pertinent to what he we're says, doing here. That this is how far apart are they? Two hundred thousand miles. And then Ned looks at him like he understands what the fuck that means. <laughs> know, right? like, he would have no concept. No concept. It's so ham-fisted, the whole, this is America, the melting pot, because we have the Revolutionary Army marching. We have people cheering them on. We have slaves fighting for being sold on the block, and they're shouting, we want our freedom. Yeah. Then we have uh, Tom's son getting married to this French girl that he's met. Right. And there's a Jewish soldier getting, his name is Israel something. (laughs) He says, go off, and he has a yarmulke on. It's like... Oh, we get it. Yeah. America's America, the, melt- the melting pot. This We're the coming bur- together. Yes. We get you. It's these kind of little touches. It's these little touches on the side of it, and they're just in the corners of the movie, and it's kind of like, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Like, that's interesting. I would love to see a good movie that did these things, you right. know? Too late. Yeah, right? And I mean, this movie, like, shit the bed so fucking hard. I mean, they're really, they didn't do, they don't really do Revolutionary War movies that often anyway. Yeah. And they certainly didn't do a lot in the you know, aftermath of this one. So we've won. We're, we're, this is America. This could have been our ending right here. No. We go on. Yorktown. Three years Three later. Three years later. We're in Yorktown. Now Tom Dobb Pacino is somehow an American sniper because he's just laying behind a wall and just... <laughs> Kid is looking and seeing uh, thirty yards. He's just yards. picking people off like crazy. It's just killing people super easily and, and not even thinking about it. With too, a which musket is what makes what happens in the subsequent scene all the more galling. I think. All of a sudden, Ned sees. 
that son of a bitch, Donald Sutherland. Donald Sutherland and his mole. And his mole. I think he sees the mole first. <laughs> the mole? Like, Wait a minute. Well, the Who's mole? that mole attached to? Give me a telescope. It has its own gravitational pull, so <laughs> he probably saw the thing floating around the mole first. They start running off. Al Pacino knows instantly what his plan is. Yeah. Which, what the fuck is his plan? <laughs> I don't know. They're on different sides of the battle at Yorktown. Sutherland takes to Iroquois and his sort of his second officer yeah. to run off to the side to now run around the beach. They run, they just run to the side of the battle yeah, and, and it, around the edge of the battle and they're coming up the beach and four guys are going to, with like swords are going to like slaughter the entire continental army. Like what the fuck is their actual plan? There? It, it doesn't make any sense. It's just an excuse to, they to film- get them alone. Yes. Yeah. And they filmed at this great location with this rocks at this cliff. So it's like, I could see what they were doing, but they, they were like, just write some to, words. Like just get them there somehow. Right. But, but the funniest scene is Al Pacino, his son and two native American uh, scouts with them go running after them yeah. on this open battlefield. They just run out in the middle <laughs> just of run out there. And Pacino's so short. The way they run down, he, he looks like Babe Ruth rounding first. The way he has <laughs> these like, doo, 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 mincy doo, doo, little doo, doo, steps. <laughs> he takes about nine million steps running down that hill. <laughs> the officers are sneaking up the beach to do what God only knows what. So they chase him down to the beach. They chase him down to the beach. They're in the open and they, they get the him. drop on him. Yes, they flanked him somehow. And they just come out and they just like, blam. Like, out of nowhere, just blammo all of them. You from, hear gunshots and see blood splatter. And it's everywhere. And th- the other three are just like, boom, murdered, yeah. done, over. And Sutherland is writhing there. He's been shot, but he's just kind of like doing, overacting, of course. Yeah. And shouting. And this is where his accent really oh, fucking... Oh, boy. Just, come on, son. Come on, come, son. Come on, son. So then we get to the point where he's injured. Sutherland, the sadist who like whipped uh, little Ned Dobbs feet when he was a boy and who was procuring children for the general yeah. is basically pure fucking evil is lying there. And Ned, it, you know, he says, Oh, it looks like he's not getting away. And I got him dead. Dad. Got him dead. And, and Tom says, yeah, all right, go ahead. And it's basically like, go ahead and take the shot. And Ned lifts the gun and then decides, no, I can't do it. Right. And walks away. You fucking just murdered the other three without even a half of a thought. You didn't even look at them. He was just wasting people on the fucking beach. He killed those other three. And then the pedophile rapist is sitting there. Yeah. And they decide, no, now's the time to say that violence is wrong. That is so and funny. revenge is wrong and an eye for an eye and we need to move on. Like... The other three and little- that's the end of the Sutherland storyline. He gathers the other guy, he drags him off, and they're gone. You'd never see him again. That is so fucking funny. How yeah. fucked up is that? The other three literally did nothing to you, but you kill them without a blink. You ju- just, basically just to have that moment. Just to have the I'm better than you moment. And to, yeah, he just, like. So after all that. About five minutes of singing on the oh, battlefield God, yes so after they get back the battle's now just over they were gone about 20 minutes the battle's over spoiler alert the british lost yeah, british lost this one sorry if we're spoiling this yeah one. i guess we should have said spoiler alert at the beginning this just inspires lots of singing people yeah. are singing on the bat there's one woman who's just sort of singing Annie lennox is singing she's on the singing a dirge and then there's more singing and more singing and more swirling cameras and more mud and more singing. More, and it uh, just goes on for about five or ten minutes. It might as well have just ran a car on and said war, right? Yeah, this uh-huh. is, you could feel Hugh Hudson was like, oh, baby, this is my Oscar <laughs> moment. This is it. I'm going to milk the shit out of this. So this is where I wrote, fuck, it's not over. 
because we're back. Over. We're back in New York, and it's VC Day. It's a celebration. Uh, Pacino uh, conveniently has the same paymaster that gave him the, <laughs> I know, right? the that didn't change the slip for the boat at the beginning. He will not get proper money for his boat or his service. Yeah, he gets a, just a tiny little pittance, and he's not going to get the 150 acres of land that he was promised that was sold to speculators. Because war just really lines people's pockets, debt. man. Just war lines people's pockets. He, he's kind of saying, "No, this is what I fought for." This what we all fought for there's a big moment but ultimately he doesn't get his 150 acres yeah he's gonna go talk to congress and this is where i really wanted a <laughs> mr pacino goes to washington <laughs> was i sequel. wanted that so yeah. bad oh my god yeah. i'm a foot trapper i'm gonna go talk to this congress hang on where is the congress there isn't a congress yet you still have to elect the con- okay i'm gonna go to congress i told you i wouldn't leave my furs k <laughs> don't ask me about my business congress after all that so he walks over to Tom, who is now leaving. After all this whole movie, <laughs> this whole fucking movie yeah. of him protecting his son. Yeah. And that's the only thing. He, he's a widower. He's lost three other kids. He's protecting this kid. I'm not going with you, He's Tom. not going. What the fuck? He needs to stay here in New York and make sure Liberty is going to be okay. His 17-year-old son now has a pregnant wife. He, who, his son has never needed him more than now. Yeah. Oh, but don't you see the sun is going off to He's kind gonna- of settle the frontier and create a country. Tom is going to stay and kind of become part of society. It's what's called symbolism. <laughs> he says, this is, this is me here. This is what I need. <laughs> Jesus Christ. It's fucking garbage. But then who does he see running by? Yeah, so he takes off. And then there's a moment where he's kind of sitting silently, and then, boom, there goes Cuffy. And here's another... I mean, this is a big scene. I mean, like, fuck, this movie did not cheat this shit no. on this. It no, didn't do it well. crowds everywhere, but people can constantly pick each other out in, in throngs of, like, tens of thousands. Yeah, and it did it terribly, but it fucking looks the shit the entire time. There's tons of people celebrating, dancing in the streets. Yeah, this Lots scene of- is another one that, on a conceptual level, is genius, and then just totally got fucked up in the execution because this scene turns into so he sees cuffy run by uh what uh natasha kinski's uh slave what she she was dead what so, yeah, i mean but not even a slave this is where the movie is yeah. just so shitty right i, I like, use slave just because i she is a slave exactly. but it, i mean she's a movie slave which is like she's a movie servant which she's is just a, slave, a black basically. girl who doesn't speak in the movie Where's doesn't that? speak but is totally loyal and yeah, yeah it's just garbage so he follows her and it is Goodfellas Copacabana scene because yeah, and it's like this sort of microcosm of the new America yeah right because you see well a running shouting mud because mm-hmm. running shouting fucking mud and every fucking scene love time death running shouting mud but you see this boxing match where a black man is is fighting a white man yeah. and then you hear a lot of uh, like racial talk and about how you shouldn't be coming in here this is a white man's America and but other people are shouting about freedom and other people are you know there's marches going but on but it's one long tracking shot one following long shot. Pacino through this swarming crowd and over it's various all, sets. All clearly like huge. I mean, I don't know if they shot it, if they built the sets or if they shot it, but if they shot it somewhere that existed, they did a ton to dress up the sets, make mud in all the streets, yeah. signage, you know, make it look very authentic. Like, Old boats, he crosses over it. I, I saw it was done in southern England, so I don't know if that yeah. means anything. So I don't, I'm not sure if they built those sets, particularly if they found some sets in southern England and then dressed them up. But it's amazing. Either way, it's, it looks fantastic. So it's this large, over several different set pieces tracking shot. We could have ended three times already. <laughs> I know. But we have this, and he who does he find? 
through the crowd, the the seas part, and there's Natasha Kinski wearing a pirate hat and mothering street urchins. <laughs> And she looks up and sees Pacino. And even though she previously had an ability to, like, where's Waldo find him, like, in the middle of, like, an entire colony, they have not talked and they've never met. And they see each other and are like, oh, my God. And they embrace and camera pulls away. And that's basically the end of your fucking movie. That's revolution. That is revolution in a nutshell. You say you want a revolution. You are wrong. You we did, did not a, want a revolution. For sitting through this two-hour and eight-minute slog fest of ugly, running, shouting mud, at least we got a big, dumb soliloquy at the end. <laughs> yes. Here comes the narration again. Telling us that many generations hence will think about us and what we did here. Fuck you. No, they won't. No. <laughs> Nobody's going to think of you, Tom Dobbs. Yeah, sorry, Tom. Uh, so yeah, that is the film uh, Revolution. Anything else that you want to say about the movie before we get to our ratings? I'm glad I saw it because I've been waiting so long. And had I not, had we not done this podcast, I yeah. would not have watched this movie. Yeah, I should have. We we talked a little bit about it earlier, but there there is another version that they went back and was a little more highly regarded than this movie. It wasn't like widely released or anything like that, did but it, it it got some good notices. So some, it did. one person even said that it was. Uh, made the film sort of ripe to to revisit, you know. So, so he actually went back, cut ten minutes out of the movie, added a, a, narr- a more narration, and we didn't get a chance to watch that movie. I, wa- I would hope to watch that one just to compare it, but I will watch it for our next mini episode. Well, here's the thing that I'm going to say is that I waited three decades to watch this, but I felt so little connection to this mm-hmm. that I have no plans to watch the revisiting. Yeah, no, I- I'm going to take the bullet on that one. Don't yeah, worry about it. I'll, thank you. I'll, I will take the bullet, and then we can talk a little about it in the mini episode. So I'll I don't probably really watch Smoking Aces again. Yeah, I'm sure. Uh, this movie's really bad. It's really bad. It looks bad. It sounds bad. It's poorly scripted, poorly edited, just poorly. It's a great idea that just got, got botched non-fucking-stop. Non-stop. Absolutely. So if you don't have anything else to add, let's uh, rate this film and banish it to the land of wind and shadows forever. I'm going to go, shit, it's so tough. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to go dare. Go and dare. I'm going to go dare because I don't know if it's just because I have to justify myself wanting to watch this movie for uh-huh. three fucking decades. <laughs> but I'm going to say that I think we've extolled as much of this movie as we've criticized. But it's just what we've criticized means so much more than what we extolled, the virtues of this movie. I think everything we extol is sort of on the conceptual level. and Or on the look. It doesn't show up on the screen. It's ugly, but it's supposed to look ugly. And that's it does it well. So I'm okay with <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, it really looks ugly. As much as you know and i feel like good intentions are maybe worth something and there's certainly some good intentions to make a movie that's really interesting um i gotta go double dare because the act of watching the movie was pure fucking torture (laughs) it was so rough it was the gunner's daughter of movie watching it's just like like i was saying earlier there isn't a thing pulling us through the movie so the movie feels endless because you don't have any like signposts to kind of like move you along you don't have any goals to get to you know what i mean so absolutely this movie the cut is two hours five minutes and oh jesus it it feels Feels like four hours every bit of that so in order to not make you feel like this episode is endless we're gonna wrap up and tell you that's all we have for you on this episode but we'll be back next week to review another one of your movie dares another keep sending them In the meantime, check out our next mini episode for a preview of the next Dare Daniel Review, as well as more talk about your dares, bad movies, and the question of the week. 
And be sure to send your most sadistic or altruistic movie dares to us at daredaniel.com. Be sure to follow Dare Daniel Pod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Like and rate us on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, you can read more of my movie reviews in the Sacramento News and Review and at newsreview.com. And you can read my craft beer column in the Sacramento Bee and at sacb.com. Corky, if people were going to sell their furs up the river <laughs> and they wanted to see Corky McDonald, where would they go? You can come sell your wares, sell your beaver pelt, sell your fox furs down at the Sacramento Comedy Spot, Jane 20. That's where I'll be performing. I'll be performing with my son. Because <laughs> you guys, you follow him everywhere. Because he can't, yeah, I won't let him be conscripted into an improv group without me. <laughs> That's very smart. Very smart. Uh, so for Dare Daniel, I'm Daniel Barnes. Our producer is Johnny Tom Dobb, the house elf Flores. And I'm Corky McDonald saying, come on, son. Come on, son. Oh, very nice. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Oh. What an episode. That was a nice episode. A what? Oh. Ha, ha, ha.